Lucky Shot brings you this episode of the QA. It is the end of the month, which means it is QA time, and it is crazy how fast this month has flown by. It seems like just yesterday I was making the March QA, and boom, here I am again. I got a message from um, the editor on the webpage, and he's like, hey, QA today? And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's already the last Monday of the month, which is just absolutely nuts. I do appreciate you guys checking out this month. It is, again, April 2022 edition of the QA. You can check us out wherever you watch your videos. However, if you're going to be in the car, you can also get the QA wherever you get your podcasts, and it's in an audio-friendly format, so that way you can uh, throw it on your podcast app, your Spotify, iTunes, or podcasts, or whatever, and just listen to me, a nice, soothing, friendly voice as you travel down the road. All right, that's that. Uh, podcast plug. <laughs> So before we get into comments and questions, do have to give you guys a huge thank you. We are starting to grow a little bit in the Patreons. We just have a few of you still. Uh, Kevin, I believe you are the only $10. You're the highest ranking Patreon supporter, so I do appreciate that. Uh, and unfortunately, Kevin, I'm just going to be right up front. I'm not going to be able to get to all of your questions, but I did save several of them, especially the instructor-related ones for the podcast idea. I do have an idea to do a instructor craft podcast, and that's kind of a term that I use when I'm teaching for kind of basically perfecting your craft of instructing. And I think some of those questions that you bring up as far as quality of instructors, and uh, we'll touch on a couple of them here, but I think those would be really good podcast ideas. So hopefully I'll find some time to do some podcasts. But we do have several questions. Real quick on the channel update, we did just break, uh, I don't know, it was last week maybe, 75,000 subscribers, which is great. And I'm happy to report that the views have also been really climbing nicely since I've been doing this full time. So since I switched full time, uh, in that first couple weeks, I noticed, you know, views were up, views were up, and the, the analytics just kept on climbing. And uh, it is just crazy what a little over a month has done with content. So the goal of the channel going forward is going to be about that two real videos a week. And then I'm also going to be introducing a new series called Quick Tip Two Minute Tuesdays. Uh, I've done some quick tips in the past and I'm gonna probably be updating some of those older ones. But the one that I did last week about the grip storage kind of got me thinking, you know, I could chop these down to under two minutes. And then the, uh, you know, Two Minute Tuesday idea kind of came up. And so my goal, uh, hopefully I can get to it this month, is gonna be a video on Monday, Quick Tip Two Minute Tuesday, and a video on Friday. So that way you can begin your week and end your week with us. And then we'll also have some articles. And uh, if you guys, uh, you guys are probably the inner circle, you guys know this, but if you're not checking us out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube shorts, I generally try to post a short or a reel every day. Now, a lot of the days it is promoting that day's video to try to get people to move over. However, a lot of the times it's also an unboxing, literally a mail call. So you kind of get a sneak peek of what's coming up in the future as well. So that's kind of cool if you guys want to kind of stay in the loop there. But uh, yeah, this last month or so, we've had some good videos. The Holosun 508 review video is doing really well. The Should You Co-Witness Your Handgun RDS to Iron Sights video is doing really well. That one's over 30,000 views. And the comments on there, wow. If you want to see something, go check that out because some of the things that people argue about uh, are kind of crazy about how like, you are slaving them, look at your graphic. And it's like, no, I'm not. Like, I don't put the dot on the sights. That's my definition of slaving. And you know, people are like, yeah, my, this guy told me that they're independent, but they're not, see? Well, they are independent, because if I take the red dot off, the iron sights still work, and if I put the iron, or if I had the red dot on and I take the iron sights off, the red dot still works. They are independent, and they're not at the same height like that co-witness, a true co-witness, like I showed. But anyways, uh, that video is up there, but 
if you're new to Red Dots or whatever, that is really helpful. So speaking of which, our first question is going to be from that. However, before I answer that, if you want to see your question on the show, the best way is to email us. That email address is shown below, the QA at gunsandtactics.com. And if you guys are new here, please like, share, subscribe. You can always do it, you know, uncheck it later, but I think you'll like it. I generally try my best to give you guys good content for free, but uh, check, check it out. Send us an email, like, share, subscribe, hit the bell, hit the thumbs up. It really does help that grow. And then one of the cool goals that we are looking at short-term is a 100K giveaway, and we're going to have uh, excellent prizes. We're going to have kind of a behind-the-scenes shop tour. I'm just really looking forward to hitting that 100,000 because I feel like that is a really, really good milestone to hit. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get into our questions. This first one was a comment from that video. I want to pick up a Staccato C2. I don't know how high the red dot sits on their mounting plates. Would it be better to pick up a DPO or get one that's not and have it milled? I will be using it for RMR patterns. So uh, I kind of wanted to answer this a little bit because there are pros and cons. Now I have a Staccato that I bought as a regular iron sight gun and I had it sent out for the chambers plate, which I do really like the chambers plate. However, the downside is the chambers plates are not often in stock. He only makes plates for the RMR right now. He's been talking about Acro and 509, but as of uh, now, every time I message him asking for an update, basically their machine shop wasn't getting it or there was a supply issue and it's been going on a year and a half. So if you want a, a chambers plate, which in my opinion is probably the best aftermarket plate out there right now for the 2011, uh, you have to send it to a approved machinist and you have to buy the plate. And like I said, those plates are out of stock and there's only the RMR, but it does sit really nice on the slide. Now there are other services like um, David, I, I want to say it's Schmick, Schmick, something like, I, I'll have to look it up, uh, but he does really, really good work. DS Customs or DS Gunworks, I, you know what, it's going to bother me here, hang on one sec. Okay, I found it, it's Dave Simkick, I believe that's how you pronounce it, David Simkick. He is the owner of Dave's Custom Gunsmith LLC and he does some really good work as far as milling as well. So that might be an option and he's a part of the Staccato Enthusiast Club, which is a Facebook group, which is if you're into 2011s, that's a good group to join. But he does really good work as does Vulcan. Uh, there's a few others out there as well. So downside is if you do that, you technically void the warranty as soon as somebody machines that slide. So if you do have a slide related issue, Staccato could void your warranty. Now, like I said in the other video, uh, the McMullen Stippleworks one, put a card up there, they really still have good customer service. And they understand people sometimes do modify or alter their guns, but they still wanna work with you to take good care of you. They do have really good customer service, but that is a risk. Now, the nice thing with the DPO system is it is a factory warranty system. It's original, the plates, the Dawson plates are great. If you're gonna be using a Staccato DPO, just use the Dawson plates, those are the best ones. And they work really well. I haven't had any issues with the Dawson plates and I have uh, three or four Staccatos with the DPO cut with the plates and they work just fine. So that's uh, kind of my short answer on that. There are pros and cons. Will it sit a little lower? Yeah, but I don't think you'd regret it. And then what's nice about the DPO uh, system is you wanna try an Acro. But, you know, done. Uh, I wanted to put a 509 on one of my guns. Done. Order just a new plate. Now I have a 509 on there. So you can really have that modularity, whereas if you got it milled, you're kind of stuck to one platform. And I know you said that you wanted to do the RMR, but I don't know, man. Um, you say you want to use the SRO and the Holosun 508, both absolutely great optics, but you never know. You might want to try a closed emitter at some point. So it just gives you, gives you some options. All right, let's get to our email questions. This one is from something Archangel. My question is about suppressors getting his first torn between a rimfire or a 30 cal for the ARs. Ideally, I'd like to purchase both, but I only have the budget for one. 
Honestly, I would get the Rimfire one. Rimfire suppressors are amazingly fun and they're the ones that truly get it really quiet where you're like, kind of giggle and chuckle. They're, they're just awesome. I recommend that to be generally everybody's first suppressor. Number one, they're reasonably priced. Number two, the performance per dollar ratio is incredibly high. It actually does reduce that. And if you put you know subsonic or even close to subsonic rounds in there, it gets really quiet to where you really enjoy it and you have a lot of fun. It, it adds a lot to the suppressor. And some suppressors on certain rimfire guns actually improve accuracy as well. If you're gonna get one, make sure you get one that you can take apart and clean because rimfire suppressors do get dirty. Uh, my favorite are like the Liberty Regulator, the Dead Air Mask, or some of the inter, inter, integrally suppressed 22 options, but then you can't move it around as much. Uh, also, a suppressor that I've not gotten my hands on yet, but looks really cool, is the Maxim Defense Suppressor. I got to check out their integrally suppressed 2245 at a trade show. I didn't get to shoot it, but I took it apart, got to play with it. Looks like a really nice can. I can't wait to get my hands on one of those as well, but those would be kind of my top picks. And then, I would get your AR suppressor. So here's the deal, you'll throw an AR uh, suppressor on your AR, it's still gonna be kinda loud. It's not loud, but it's not quiet. And I'm not saying you'll be disappointed, it just takes the bite off, but it, it still kinda leaves a mark, if you will. If you're shooting a lot without ear pro on an AR, it, you'll definitely still notice it. So I think the performance per dollar ratio on the Rimfire one is much nicer. All right, Kevin, getting to some of your questions. This is a, a new, topic I'm calling Kevin's Corner, because Kevin, you'd always do send in a ton of questions. I appreciate the talking points. Unfortunately, like I said, I just don't have time to get to them all to keep this episode reasonable in length. What are some of the top traits, beliefs, personality types, and methods that make for a professional quality instructor? Uh, honestly, personality types can vary. I've had instructors that are very terse, but very good, but they're you know, very caring. Uh, I've had other instructors who are a little more outgoing and gregarious and also be very good. So I think the common value of a really good instructor is one that truly cares about seeing their students grow in performance. My personal goal every time I teach a class is that a student leaves more knowledgeable, more proficient, or better performer than when they got there. And depending on the type of class, that may mean that they are better prepared to be an instructor, or it may mean that they are more confident with their handgun, or it may mean that they feel more confident with uh, a skill set that the class was about, or more knowledgeable on the topic that I was presenting. Uh, so that's kind of my thing, is that I truly try to, I have this motto, uh, literally, and if anybody who's watching has been to my class, I start and end every one of my classes generally with a speech that usually says, you can always get more money, but you can never get more time. And my goal is to always make training that is not only worth your money, but more importantly, worth your time. And that's kind of literally my motto with everything. So I wanna always be conscious of the student's time and then to put out a product. So that's kind of my short answer on that. Uh, I added that to the Instructor Craft podcast idea. What techniques have you found to be the most helpful when reconditioning the frames of Glock pistols where the front rail and dust cover are out of alignment? So sometimes on Glocks, the dust cover will uh, kind of droop a little bit and it can be out of alignment. Now here's my deal, I don't care what it looks like if the gun functions, I drive on. Uh, I don't know what type of condition you've seen. Um, I know with it was particularly more of an issue with the Gen 4, I'm sorry, Gen 3 Glock 22s. In particular, they had more issues, but those guns are really kind of faded out now. They're not really mainstream, so it's not really much of an issue. I haven't really seen it much with Gen 4 or 5 9mm Glocks, which are by far the majority of the market now. I just really don't see it being too much of an issue. Every now and again, you'll kind of see one that has like the pig nose or drooping or whatever people call it, but the gun still runs. And if the gun still runs, drive on. 
So that's that. I know there have been some guys that try to heat stuff up and you know, I don't, I, I don't care about that. I put a light on it, I shoot it, I run it. That's kind of my deal there. Uh, if it is affecting the gun cycling, then it goes back to Glock and for like a little over a hundred bucks, you get a new frame. So that's what I do. Uh, all right, what are, how have you been able to handle all those failures, shortages of repair parts and quality and unethical behaviors from the gun and accessory companies. Um, this was part of a bigger email where basically due to COVID, quality control was slipping, companies were kind of pushing stuff out. The reality is, thankfully, knock on wood, I generally buy from quality companies and I don't have a ton of quality control issues because I buy from those companies that still pride themselves on quality control. Now, I know Glock, uh, in one of your other things, you said Glock treats cops really well and doesn't treat the commercial market as, as good. I, I don't know what it's like to be a commercial customer with Glock as much. I've always kind of been that LE customer, so I've had those LE connections. But as I transition to the private sector, you know, maybe I can still use my LE contact so I won't notice it as much. But in the armor classes that I've been to, there have been, you know, civilians, GSSF members at those armor classes, and they get the same order forms that I did. So... The guys that I know that are GSSF members who went through the armor course, they order parts just like I do. So I can't really speak to how Glock you know, is treating people differently because what I see up here, and maybe it's a rep issue, I don't know, we have good reps up here, but I know both the commercial and the LE Glock rep up here and they treat people really good. So I'm just lucky, I guess, that that's where I'm at. And as far as AR stuff, I have seen a lot of students get junk and I just try to tell people, buy once, cry once, and I give people my recommendation of lists and things like that. So. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what it is. What are some good ways to show the handgun competency or incompetency level of an incoming student in a productive manner instead of attempting to humiliate students in a class? So what I do is we generally have a warm-up drill right away. And this warm-up drill not only lets the student warm up, but it allows me and my other instructors to assess our students to kind of see what we have as far as skill level. And the drill that I start with is what I call a reverse 5x5. I'll do an upcoming video when my range opens up on the 5x5. And then at the very end, I'll talk about the warm-up of the reverse 5x5. But basically, it's a ladder drill, and it starts, the reverse version starts at 5 yards, then 10, 15, 20, 25, 5 at each distance. And that kind of gives you an idea of, are they really good up close? And then where does it start to fall apart? For some shooters, it falls apart after 10, some after 15, and so on. Then the true version of the drill does have time, which adds speed and urgency into it as well. But I like to use that as an assessment. And then I also have proficiency standards, which I'll do another video on those as well. But I use those as kind of a baseline to, to kind of see how proficient is a student with their handgun. So those are what I use. I never mock anyone. I praise in public, but if I have a student who really struggles, I give them some feedback, some constructive criticism, and I usually also have a speech in the beginning that says, hey, we're all here to learn, we're all here to get better. All right, and then when an AR fails in class due to gas block coming loose, what's the best way for an instructor to handle the issue? Uh, reality is, you need to hand out a demo gun. Uh, as an instructor, I usually travel with either my gun or a loaner or two, depending on where I'm going, or I make sure the host has a loaner gun, usually the host that I go to now, they're squared away where I tell them, hey, this is what I need, ammo, loaner gun, whatever, and they have that. The easiest way is to get a loaner gun so that student can come back. And yes, I realize it's not set up exactly what, they get to finish the class though. And as far as trying to fix that, it depends on what type of gas block, what type of tools. I travel with the toolkit. I'm a little more tech savvy and armor savvy than probably most. But if it's something I can fix on a break, I will certainly try. Otherwise, I will recommend service you know, to them. And then last, uh, Kevin, 
is as a gunsmith and instructor, what have you found is a best practice to replace rear sights with a red dot installed? I just use a sight tool. The sight tool that I use is the uh, Pro One. I can position that accordingly to where I don't hit the red dot body. And if it's in front, same thing. It's a nice tool. It was like 400 some bucks. Uh, otherwise, if it's an absolute issue there, I use a non-marking drift and a hammer, and then I can use that as well. So it just kind of depends. If I absolutely can't take off the red dot, those are the methods that I use. And then uh, if I have to, I have to take off the red dot. That's just how it goes. So then you just re-loctite it. All right. Uh, then some of the other comments as far as co uh, cord routing, rifle lube, those are things that I, I think would probably be good for future videos. So I, I'd probably like to address those in the future. All right. This one is from Big Dan. Congrats on going full-time. Hey, I appreciate that, man. Thanks for the kind words. And I am still doing some rep work with Staccato. So thoughts on their new comp. Uh, I shot one, finally, and I gotta say, it shoots pretty good. It's not quite as good as an XC, so I will say that. But it definitely does reduce that flip just a little bit compared to a P. Now, personally, is it worth it? I don't know. It depends on what ammo you're gonna be shooting. So we shot it with a little bit of uh, variety of ammo. And like with a cheap 115, 124, just like range bulk ammo, I didn't notice it as much, but I did have a mag of old, uh, I think it was like old Hornaday. No, 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 I'm sorry. It was old Winchester duty ammo that I don't use anymore. And then I compared it to my P and to the Compt P, and I did notice more of a difference with that duty ammo. So that's where you probably get a little bit more performance. So that, is it worth it? I don't know. Um, my next... I did order another Staccato P and I did order that with a threaded barrel, mainly to shoot suppressed, but I also might pick up one of the comps just to kind of try it out a little bit. But I will say like the Dawson comp, like how it attaches and aligns and everything, really, really well thought out, very nicely done. So if you can't afford an XC and you really want a comped gun, then that would probably be the better option with a factory warranty, everything like that. If you don't want a factory warranty, you don't care about voiding it, there are services that can modify that. However, there really are risks with that. Not only are you machining something, you're adding stress fracture points as well, uh, especially with some of the earlier stuff that was just using an end mill. I was always really leery of that, but there can be jacketing issues from the bullet as well. So I would really be cautious of some of those aftermarket comps, but they can reduce recoil as well. But I would just say if you can get the XC, uh, save up and get it because it's just an awesome shooting gun, but not everybody can get it. I would just say get a P, rock on, or get an XL. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think you're gaining that much performance to where you need the comp. Is it nice to have? Sure. But do you need it? No. All right. And then have I tried a Beretta uh, LTT or a Langdon Beretta? I have not, but I got to admit, I do want to. My One of my very first duty guns was a Beretta 92. So the Beretta does have a sweet spot in my heart, but I've just kind of moved on from DASA guns. Uh, my very first duty gun was a SIG P226 DASA. So again, those DASA guns do have a near and dear spot in my heart, uh, but I've kind of moved on from them. So... I do want to try one. I do want to try a uh, Beretta, kind of get back to it. All right, before we answer our last few questions, let's go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsor, which is Lucky Shot. Lucky Shot has a lot of cool, unique glassware and gift items for the firearms enthusiast in your life. Or maybe you just want something for yourself. So head on over to Lucky Shot USA and check out their webpage. Pick something out for that special someone. Pick something out for yourself or make a list and give it to the special someone so they know what to get you for an upcoming gift. Mother's Day is coming up, Father's Day is coming up, graduations, all sorts of great gift ideas for the upcoming gift giving season. Plus, if you use the code shown on the screen, you can save a little bit on your order as well. Save some money, get a cool gift, 
and we appreciate them for sponsoring this episode of the Keyway. That is Lucky Shot. All right, this one is from Kevin B. Looks like the rifle came out great. He's referring to the Build Your Own Precision Rifle. I'll put a card up there. But what if you had just bought a good rifle and bought a barrel? How would it stack up in accuracy? Well, obviously, the better the barrel, the better the accuracy, but you need a good solid action to consistently hold that good barrel. So the two kind of go hand in hand. And then on top of that, you need a nice rigid stock or chassis to hold the action. Again, consistency is the name of the game. You can have the best barrel in the world, but if you have a crappy action where the tolerances are really junk and it moves all over the place or doesn't hold it solid, that is an issue. Likewise, if you have a super flimsy stock or chassis or one that allows that action to move under recoil, you'll have inconsistencies as well. So you don't necessarily need world class. You can get super shooting accuracy with a good quality action, a good barrel, and a good stock. I just happen to say, you know what? I'm going to buy once, cry once. So uh, definitely you can still get good performance. All right, this one is from Jared. Interested in purchasing a 2011, always wanted one. Decided to get one. He's looking for a solid, fun gun, and possibly home defense. Huge name in the space. However, he's also interested in bull armory. Uh, kind of wondering how they compare. Now, I have not personally had my hands on a bull armory, so I, I'm going to probably try to reach out and see if I can get one. Uh, I think they are available at Rainier, and I've had a really good working relationship with Rainier lately. They've been sending me a lot of stuff to do videos on, so I love the guys over at Rainier. Uh, all in all, guys, by the way, if you are looking for an online dealer with great customer service and they're shipping out of the Midwest, so it makes it coast to coast in just a few days, check out Rainier Arms. They really, really have been awesome at supporting me with getting stuff, and I love working with those guys. Just, it's a cool company, cool people, and I'm so proud that we have such a good relationship with the guns and tactics side as well. But uh, absolutely love the relationship that's building and continuing to grow. And there's some stuff behind the scenes too that I'm really excited about that I'll probably tell you guys more about in the future. But uh, gotta love Rainier Arms. They're just awesome people. So I don't have any experience with the Bull Armory, but here's the thing with Staccato. They are kind of the main player right now. They've got magazines figured out. They have production figured out. They are just making really, really good quality guns. Now, every now and again, is there an issue with anything? Yes, but everything I've heard about customer service-wise has been absolutely awesome as well. So if you go with a Scotto, you're going to get that warranty made by Americans in America, good quality parts, they can control things, and you're going to get the customer service. So I, and I'm, not, I'm a little biased, okay? Full disclosure, I'm a little biased. But those are just the experiences that I share. I bought a Staccato before I represented Staccato. So take that into account. All right, this one is from Art. Art, good to hear from you again. He's got the lever gun. Uh, I'm sorry, he has the lever gun curiosity, and they are surging in popularity. What are your thoughts regarding calipers, uh, most likely for range and fun? He's looking at the Henry Model X and 357-38. Honestly, that would be a good one because 357-38 ammo is generally available, and it's generally reasonably priced. Now, right now, everything's crazy. I get that. But if you look at some of the other calibers out there, 44 or some of the other, you know, more lever gun specific, they're generally a little harder to find and they are going to be more money. If this is just a fun gun uh, and you're not going to, you know, plan on hunting anything too outrageous, you know, I think that 38 Special would be a great option. Now, if you did want to hunt, I think 357 is still very capable of hunting most decent sized game as well. I know a lot of people who have shot a lot of deer with 357 out of a lever gun. Uh, there's good quality loads available. So no issues there. Now, if you wanted to hunt something bigger, then yes, you should look at something bigger. But yeah, I definitely, uh, I, I do really want a lever gun. I think they are cool. They are growing in popularity and I want to get one like one of the all weather ones. And with, you know, the accessories starting to come back, um, there's more accessories available. So you can even kind of modernize it a little bit. I definitely, I could probably see me ended up with a lever gun here sooner than later. They are kind of cool. All right, this one's from Dan. Just a few more left. 
Uh, have you heard anything about pistol braces becoming obsolete, making AR pistols NFA items in August? I've heard it four different times now. Yes, so in August, there's gonna be a hearing on trying to classify pistols and you know basically say if it has so many things that is no longer a pistol and a brace is now gonna be potentially considered a stock. Um, I'm gonna probably be doing a video on this more in detail because yes, it, there is some ATF stuff where they're trying to make these rulings uh, similar to what they've done in the past with other things where they try to interpret the law. Uh, now, recently it was with 80% stuff. I think braces are on the radar of a lot of people. So, and yeah, there's pros and cons to that. And I think um, the brace market definitely changed the whole pistol market. At first, when the very first braces were out there, I kind of thought they were kind of lame, but as the braces have gotten better, I have some pistols now with braces because I think it's a reasonable idea. There's legalities, there's travel issues, there's states that don't have NFA items, so there's a lot of really good benefits to them as well. But I do think they are on the radar for the ATF. Uh, so yeah, probably have some more, more focused uh, content on that. All right, this one is from James. Watched your video on the 508T. You can check that out up there if you have not already, which was very well done for us consumers. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate the kind words. I was wondering with your experience in law enforcement, why don't you mention closed emitter versions money? I'm not LE, just a regular guy. Does the 508 have better glass than the 507? Uh, and then better image projection. I like the 508 better than the 507. I feel it does have a little bit less distortion, better color, but truth be told, if Holosun would have said it's the exact same glass, I probably wouldn't be surprised, but for me, I like the 508 a little bit better just because of that more ruggedness with the titanium body, the square. It, I just, just generally like it better. However, when it comes to closed emitters, yes, there's definitely an advantage. And like I said earlier, I just put a 509 on one of my 2011s. Um, I got another 509 here um, that I got in that I'm gonna be throwing on a, a Glock. So I love closed emitter. And for duty use, I either recommend the 508 or the 509, and the only reason I don't recommend um, you know, one absolutely or the other is because the 509 isn't compatible with every single holster out there. So because of this little extra area on the closed emitter portion, some retention, so the Blackhawk Duty holsters, for example, that little dust cover thing won't close with the 509. They will with the 508. But as far as a, a weather resistant, you know, gets caught in the snow, rain, slush, whatever, you just wipe it off, closed emitter is the way to go. It does have a single screw for mounting, so that's a little bit of change versus the dual screw. However, with the new EPS carry and EPS duty from Holosun coming, uh, I'm really excited to check those out. Those are closed emitter options with two screw mounting, and they use the K footprint. So there's gonna be some options to mount it on a variety of guns, plate guns as well. So I think those are gonna be really, really hot optics to keep an eye out for. Uh, I'm hoping to have a version of those here sooner than later so I can get some content out. But I'm really excited about that because I think that the closed emitter market is gonna continue just to get better and better and that's gonna be the future. Uh, Steiner just came out with the MPS. However, I've seen a couple issues already with those. So I'm a little hesitant to recommend that. Uh, and then obviously the Aimpoint Acro is the gold standard in a way, but battery life kind of plagued the P1, so now they have the P2. So I guess in some ways the 509 is kind of the gold standard of closed emitter optics in my opinion. If I was buying a closed emitter optic, it would be a 509. End of story. I love these things. They're just awesome. Last question. Given what ammo prices are now, I'm sure most of us need to use cheaper ammo to practice. 
and we have more expensive defensive ammo that we would use if needed. My question is, should we zero the firearm using defensive ammo and use the cheaper, understanding there'll be a different, or should we be zeroing using the cheaper? Well, part of it's gonna depend on what the gun is. I have some guns that are strictly training guns, guns that I travel with for classes, guns that are demo guns, whatever, and the only thing that those guns will ever shoot is ball ammo, so 115 grain, 124 bulk ammo, and I zero those guns to that ammo. Now, if it's my off-duty gun or a duty or carry gun, I will zero that with my defensive ammo, and then I will shoot that practice ammo and understand what the difference is. Most times it's actually pretty minimal, okay? We do that in my class where we zero with both to kind of understand the difference. And for practical purposes, the difference is usually negligible, so we don't even have to worry about it. Now, if it is a big difference, then you just have to make a note of it. But if it's a carry gun where you actually are using it with that defensive ammunition, yes, zero with the defensive ammunition and then practice with your practice ammunition. And like I said, 99 times out of 100, the difference will be so small that it won't be an issue. So I would just run with that. Unless you have a dedicated range gun, training gun, competition gun, whatever, then you can zero for that ammo and just rock on. So. Another upcoming video I'm gonna have is the different zeros. You know, I did the how to zero, updated version of that, you can check out there. But one of the ones I wanna do is the difference of zero. So is there a difference between a seven yard zero, a 10 yard zero, a 15 yard zero, a 25 yard zero, and what is the practical difference of those zeros out to 25 yards, out to 50 yards, out to 100 yards, we're gonna talk about all that stuff. So that's a really good one as well. All right, that is the last of our questions. So I super appreciate everybody for submitting questions. We had 10 individual submissions, which is great. I'm gonna go ahead and throw the rules up there. And if you have not won recently, you are more than welcome. And I gotta give a shout out to, uh, I believe it was Art who was super honest as well in the past about like, hey guys, I actually won in between uh, last time or whatever. So he declined a prize, we ended up giving it away to somebody else. So. If you haven't uh, checked out the rules, please do so. I put them up on there. Our random number generator gives us number five, if you guys can see that, number five. Five is Kevin. So Kevin B, we will be in touch with you to get you a prize courtesy of Lucky Shot. Again, if you wanna see your questions on the show, the best way is to email us. That email address is shown below, the QA at gunsandtactics.com. Send us your email. I do my best to make sure it meets, makes the show notes and I get it on there. If occasionally I do forget, I slip on one, but now we have smart filters and smart inboxes and stuff to where I think I got the system pretty well down. If you guys wanna support the channel and you are feeling so generous you want to do so, the best way is through Patreon. We do have different levels ranging from a buck all the way to several bucks. And I understand there's not a ton of benefits yet, but we are growing that. And as the channel grows, I hope to offer more benefits to our Patreon subscribers, as well as exclusive content, maybe a live private QA, things like that. So definitely wanna you know, look into some of that as we grow. So, but any, any support right now is genuinely appreciated. It really does mean a lot to us. So if you wanna support the channel, check us out on Patreon. Thank you guys very much for watching and have a great day.